Attention crew, this is your Captain Caliban speaking. This is a supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals, where we bring you news and tidbits from the world of Trek, also interviews with special guests, and a few little surprises along the way. And it's mostly news this week, as I'm sure you know, San Diego Comic-Con was last weekend, and the stars of Star Trek Discovery took to the stage of Hall H to give us a few details about Season 2 of Discovery, and I'll share those details with you today. Plus, we've got a new Star Trek Discovery Season 2 trailer, we've got news from around the Trek sphere, and some cocktails that are out of this world. Grab your flat hat and get the shotgun out from under the bar, and let's get underway. The nerds descended upon San Diego last weekend. That's how those pieces always start, isn't it? Get some new material. Anyway, San Diego Comic-Con was last weekend, and diligent fans were rewarded with an appearance from the cast of Star Trek Discovery for a panel in the famed Hall H. They were joined by executive producers Alex Kurtzman and Heather Caden, and the panel was hosted by incoming Discovery guest star and actress-comedian Tig Notaro. And it was hard to gauge, I mean, from a journalistic perspective. Uh, don't get me wrong, the cast was in good spirits, and the fans were having fun. Uh, and we did learn a few things about the new show, but I can't help feel that just maybe there's still some even bigger announcements on the way at this year's Star Trek Las Vegas convention next week. However, we did get our first look at Discovery Season 2 in the form of a trailer available on YouTube, if you're inclined to check it out, and I suggest that you do, and more on that in a bit. Here's what we learned at the panel. Perhaps the most surprising thing is that before Discovery returns in January of 2019, we will get a series of four Trek shorts premiering in December of 2018. They'll run 10 to 15 minutes, and each one will focus on an individual character, uh, Saru, Tilly, Harry Mudd, and a new character, Kraft, played by actor Aldous Hodge. The Kraft episode is called Calypso, and it was written by Pulitzer Prize-winning author Michael Shabon. This is fascinating news, and it kind of, sort of, gets us close to the anthology idea that was Brian Fuller's original vision for Discovery. Um, at any rate, it's something completely new for Trek visual storytelling, and it's a reflection of the show's embrace of its digital format. But most importantly, it proves me right when I said months ago that Star Trek Discovery was going to return in late 2018. You all said I was crazy, that there was no way it would happen, but here we are, line forms to the left, present your butts for kicking. Okay, I crossed a line a little bit, but, but seriously, it's amazing this show will be back at all, or in January, with the problems that they've had behind the scenes, not to mention the good things that have been going on behind the scenes, like the development of five new shows, two movies, I mean... I couldn't have predicted that the show would lose a pair of showrunners and an executive producer, but clearly the show is embracing the fact that it's a streaming show and it doesn't have to stick to the fall TV schedule. And they're producing these short films, so it's great to see the production is, is stretching its legs in the digital arena. I was totally right, though. Alex Kurtzman, or Kurtz, as I'm going to semi-ironically call him now for short, in an attempt to rebrand my dislike of his work into something fun. Kurtz announced that Season 2 would answer fans' canon concerns and that we would see Spock at some point in Season 2. 
Now, your humble reporter fancies himself something of a news hound and a skilled researcher, but there's a lot of noise online, and there's a fair amount of obfuscation from CBS, because, let's face it, they need to save some mystery for the show. And because of that, I couldn't ascertain with any certainty if Kurtz is referring to the young Spock, who we know we'll see in flashbacks, or an honest-to-goodness adult Lieutenant Spock. The season two trailer implies that the new seasons will feature Spock uh, prominently. Um, And I read an interview with Kurtz uh, that he did with Variety where he talks about the difficulty of getting an actor who can act without emotion. But for the life of me, big shrug. I don't know if he's talking about a kid or, or an adult. I think it's safe to assume that, you know, it's big Spock that we're getting. No, 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 not Spock 2 from the Infinite Vulcan, although that would be awesome. Um, I also read an interview with Zachary Quinto where it seemed like he might be floating, that he might be asked or have some shot at it. Totally unclear. I mean, clearly, it would be easier to get an adult who couldn't show emotion than a kid, maybe, unless it was like a really creepy horror movie kid. I don't know. Anyway, we're getting Spock. Here's somebody else we're getting. Number one, the original uh, uh, number one from the unaired pilot, The Cage. Uh, She'll appear in season two, originally played by Majel Barrett Roddenberry. Number one will be brought to life by Rebecca Romaine. That's a pretty good get. And get this, with Pike in the captain's chair of Discovery, number one will be captaining the Enterprise, which is awesome, and makes her number zero, or maybe number minus one, I guess. Anyway, it's cool. Speaking of Pike, Pike actor Anson Mount said in an interview with TrekMovie.com that he was contracted for all 13 episodes of season two of Discovery. Now, this doesn't mean he'll be in every episode necessarily. I think we learned that with Harry Mudd last season when Rain Wilson was contracted for like nine episodes of season one, but he only appeared in two. But Pike will definitely be sticking around for a while. Wilson Cruz announced that Dr. Culber will return to the show, and although he didn't get specific, he will be back in a very real way, not just in flashbacks or dream sequences or spore network visions. So I'm pretty excited about that. When asked by a fan if Jason Isaacs would return at all as Captain Lorca, Kurt said, maybe. And I'm maybe really excited about that, too. And Doug Jones let slip that we would be seeing the Kelpian homeworld this season and finding out more about the predator-prey dynamic of that world. And my threat ganglia are fully out for that. Mary Chifo will return as Lorel, a character I wasn't too sure about in the uh, early part of the first season, but one who grew to be a favorite of mine. And she'll be the Chancellor of the Klingon Empire in season two. Or is that Chancelloratrix? Actually doesn't matter. Klingon nouns have no gender. Klingon society, however, is very discriminatory for gender, and she'll have to deal with that as the season unfolds. Let's talk about the trailer for season two. This trailer, of course, looks gorgeous. I mean, it should, because reportedly the first few episodes of the season that it draws from went over budget, but all that money uh, is on the screen. I'm one of those people that thinks that you can get a great Trek episode out of a few rented props or, say, Nana Visitor yelling at Harris Eulin in a box, but I mean, if you've got a few dimes to rub together, put it on the screen. Uh, and they've done that here for sure. In the trailer, we see Pike come aboard and take control of the Discovery. We also see a space chase with some sort of uh, shuttles or worker bee-looking kind of craft. Uh, we see Burnham in what looks like a crash shuttle. And she sees, I don't know, uh, something indistinct. But it looks um, kind of like a female form with wings or spikes coming out of it. And Burnham looks very affected by the sight. It kind of looks like the Eye of Sauron to me, if you squint, or if he squints, Uh, but that's not the canon that Kurtz was talking about, so we can only speculate for now. Uh, Maybe it's Jojo in some form? 
just spitballing here. Uh, we get a sense of what the story arc for the season will be. As Pike indicates, geez, I can't believe that I'm describing new actions by Captain Christopher Pike. I know some people think that trying to go back to some of these characters in this canon is sacrilege, but come on, Captain Pike. Anyway, uh, Pike says that Starfleet has detected these signals or blips that are spread across the galaxy, and they've got to find out what they are. Meanwhile, it looks like Burnham uh, goes aboard the Enterprise and learns that Spock is on leave, and she also learns that he might be connected somehow to the mysterious signals. This plotline has a real The Chase kind of vibe for me. That was uh, the episode of TNG where the Enterprise is trying to beat the Romulans and other races to these clues about a possible progenitor race for the Milky Way. Speaking of Pike, uh, I think it's cool and it's a great idea to have him captain the Discovery for most of the season. I mean, I want to see an original character be introduced as Discovery's captain eventually, but since the main character of the show is Michael Burnham and the show focuses on her, and also because I think Discovery is going to be around for a while and I think that CBS knows that, they smartly tabled that concern for now and we can just chase down this mystery instead with Pike at the helm. And I think Anton Mount is a great fit for the character. <laughs> he's actually he's actually more expressive than Jeffrey Hunter. I mean, God love Jeffrey Hunter, and he should, because Hunter played Jesus. Um, but man, that, that guy is stone-faced. <laughs> so it's good to see a different side of the character than the one we get in the cage. And it looks like Pike's experiences on Talos Four rejuvenated his sense of adventure. As you'll remember in the cage, you know, he seems ready to hang it all up. But now he's talking about ruffling feathers, and he's having fun. So good on him. And if you're a fan of Pike or Jeffrey Hunter or even Jesus and you want to know more, we have a new series we're running on our Patreon called Stellar Commentary, where I and a guest watch an episode of Trek and provide facts and cracks about the show. And our first episode fittingly covers The Cage. It's kind of a MST3K or a Riff Tracks situation. You, you queue up your copy of the episode and play our commentary track over it. If you want to give it a try, you can find out more at patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. But we're not at that part of the show yet. It always comes down to profit with you people, doesn't it? We also see Tig Notaro as Commander Reno, the engineer of the USS Hiawatha. And it looked to me, just from the lighting and the costumes and stuff, that that sequence was related to the shuttle sequence. Um, and they also mentioned like a disaster, a collision uh, with a pulsar coming up. So I'm guessing that this might all be from the very first episode of season two, or at least a very early storyline with the Discovery having to rescue the USS Hiawatha from danger. Um, maybe that's what the Enterprise's distress call references uh, at the end of season one. Uh, and maybe the ship can't be saved. So Hiawatha's crew gets folded into Discovery. A lot of maybes, but I feel like plausible ones. But really, I'm not making any big predictions this year, even though I was incredibly successful last year. And on our Discovery recap show, Star Trek Discoverage, my co-host Ella and I broke the story that Ash was Voke. But I mean, you know, everybody kind of knew that anyway. But yeah, so things are so chaotic currently in the Star Trek universe with new movies, new shows, new executives. It would be folly to try and say where all this is going. But I can say that the show still looks as good as it always has. The tone seems much lighter. Uh, there's more humor, which is which is a welcome change. Uh, and we get a cameo from Linus the Saurian, uh, played by Dave Tomlinson, who played Orek the Klingon in season one. So it, it all looks great. A little judicious use of Lady Kravitz. And it got my blood pumping and me yearning for new discovery. Like I said before, it's hard to believe that we're not going to get some kind of revelations come Star Trek Las Vegas. So stay tuned to Enterprising Individuals because we'll have updates on all the news from Vegas as well. 
In other Discovery news, the nominations for the 2018 Emmy Awards have been announced, and the show is up for two awards for Outstanding Prosthetic Makeup in the episode Will You Take My Hand and Outstanding Sound Editing in For What's Past is Prologue. So congrats to the show and good luck this September. CBS pushed hard for Discovery in all the major categories, which may have been a little optimistic on their part, as no Trek series has ever won an Emmy for acting or directing. The Next Generation was nominated for Best Drama in 1994, which is an achievement in and of itself. And Trek is a perennial winner of Creative Arts Emmys for makeup, costumes, and special effects. It is, however, a sign of the network's confidence in the show and its production, which is great to see. But come on, USS Callister, the Trek-themed episode of Black Mirror, gets seven nominations? Stop the insanity! Here's hoping the next season of Discovery will bring home some gold for the show's acting and cinematography, which are outstanding. <laughs> Moving on to General Trek, the news about Star Trek IV is... Not really news, really. Uh, I mean, it's still going ahead with S.J. Clarkson at the helm. Uh, Denai Garai will be in the film, and they're in pre-production right now, but that's about all we know. Maybe we'll hear more after Vegas. The Tarantino Trek project is still alive, but again, that's all we know. Hopefully things will move forward once Tarantino's new film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is squared away. Zachary Quinto was talking about both films recently to USA Today, confirming that the Tarantino effort would be rated R, and he suggested that Trek 4 might be his last time in the pointed ears. Huh, maybe he won't be on Discovery after all. Nichelle Nichols was honored this year at San Diego Comic-Con, receiving the Inkpot Award, an award given each year to individuals for their contributions to the worlds of comics, science fiction and fantasy, film, television, and animation. Prior to this year, the only Trek-related person to receive the award was Walter Koenig in 1982. Nichols announced last week that this would be her last year attending Comic-Con, and she appeared on a panel for the upcoming documentary From the Bridge, which is hosted by George Takei and examines the evolution of fandom. More info on that at FromTheBridgeMovie.com. Congratulations to Nichelle. We're going to miss her appearances at Trek events. One person who didn't miss her at an event was author, screenwriter, and former guest on the show, Melinda Snodgrass. In addition to writing and editing scripts for the second and third seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation, Melinda's first book was a Trek one. She wrote Tears of the Singers in 1984, and she personally signed my copy, thank you very much, at this year's Convergence. The book features Uhura in the lead role, and Melinda has talked about how Uhura inspired her as a young viewer of the original series. Well, Melinda had never met Miss Nichols, and she finally got her chance. She was very excited, and you can see a snap from their meeting on Melinda's Instagram at mmsnodgrass23. You can hear Melinda talk about the process of writing her classic Next Generation episode, The Measure of a Man, on our most recent live episode of Enterprising Individuals, recorded at Convergence 2018. It's on our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. The acquisition of wealth is no longer the driving force in our lives. (laughs) Yeah, maybe your life, pal, but daddy needs a new pair of pointed ears. And to that end, a word from our sponsor. Well, the next time you're having a get-together and you need that certain party favor to ensure that your wife's parents give up on you completely, why not reach for 10 Forward Vodka? Yes, Star Trek has an officially licensed line of select spirits, and the latest is a premium blend of vodka named for Guinan's famous bar on the USS Enterprise-D. No synthahol this, it's genuine actual booze in an L-Cars graphic-adorned bottle that will have your non-Trek friends saying, just keep pouring, nerd, at your next get-together. And as if that wasn't enough, this vodka has been to space. 
Well, sort of. Silver Screen Bottling Company, the makers of 10 Forward, have sent a batch of their premium vodka to the edge of space on a high-altitude balloon, and have mixed that batch with the rest of their stock so each bottle contains at least a few molecules that have actually been to space. Still beats the pants off of homeopathic vodka at any rate. Pour out a measure of 10 Forward for a martini and shake it like a Desilu camera during a bridge battle scene. I'm a good diplomat, of course. No, don't worry about it. You're drunk. I am not. Yes, you are. This is actually the second offering in Silver Screen's Trek license line. You may have heard of James T. Kirk Signature Bourbon Whiskey, which does not make a ton of sense, as he's from Iowa, not Kentucky, where bourbon whiskey comes from. However, bourbon is made from corn. And have you been to Iowa? They've got corn everywhere. It's in the fields, it's in their gas, they use it for currency, so we can give this one a pass, I think. More entries in the Trek liquor line can't be far behind. There was a company selling blood wine a few years ago, but their website is 404 as of this recording, so that might be an option for Silver Screen. You may also think that Montgomery Scott's physics-changing Scotch whiskey might be the logical next step, but allow me to make a suggestion. Scotty's Ganymede uh, liqueur. The slogan? That's green. Well, we here at the show don't have any booze to peddle you, but we can offer you the entirety of Amazon at your fingertips. When you click through our banner on enterprising individuals and shop on Amazon, a percentage of your transaction comes back to us at no extra cost to you and helps keep the warp core lit here. And this counts for anything, not just Star Trek stuff. If you can find some kind of sci-fi-themed booze, like Robert A. Heinlein's The Moon is a Harsh Malbec, or Isaac Asimov's I, Riesling, or Arthur C. Clarke's 2001, a good year. You can actually bookmark the banner from our page, and when you click through to Amazon that way, whatever you buy, the same deal applies. If you're in the mood for something Star Trek related, though, may I recommend the Kindle edition of Melinda Snodgrass's Tears of the Singers, available on Amazon. How many books have you seen that feature Uhura and that specifically feature her ability to sing as a plot point? I think yeah, yeah, I think just this one. <laughs> Probably just this one. So check that out. I'll include a link in the show notes. And maybe you're saying, no time for Amazon. I've got to get me some of that space hooch. Maybe it'll give me superpowers. To which I would say, I think you're more likely headed for an Andromeda strain scenario, but that's your business. But I would also say, if you like what you hear on Enterprising Individuals and you want to support the show, why not head to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. It's there that you can sign up to be a crew member for the show for a small monthly donation, and you can get access to our exclusive subscriber content, like our live shows, including our live show with Melinda Snodgrass, recorded at Convergence 2018 of this year, my DS9 rewatch recaps, and our new episode commentaries, like our latest commentary for The Cage. There's also show merchandise and more. Just head to patreon.com forward slash E-I-S-T-P-O-D. Become a member of the crew today. And on that note, I'd like to introduce you to the latest member of our crew, Lieutenant Dan Garino. Dan is a journalist and author, and he's got a new book, Comic Shop, The Retail Mavericks, who gave us a new geek culture, which is a fascinating look into the early days of the retail side of the comic industry and also of comic conventions. I'll leave a link in the show notes where you can check out his book. You can also find out more about Dan at his website, Dan Garino, that's G-E-A-R-I-N-O.com. Welcome aboard, Dan, and get to work! Anyone can join our crew, we're not picky, at patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. 
As always, anything you contribute to the show will be appreciated and will help keep us flying. Thanks. Our top comment on social media this week comes from former guest on the show and author Kevin Lauderdale. Kevin was on last year to talk about Harlan Ellison's original series episode, The City on the Edge of Forever, and he was commenting on our latest supplemental episode where we paid tribute to Harlan. Kevin writes on Facebook, I started listening to this and I said to myself, I'm going to have to go back to the City on the Edge of Forever episode and listen to what I said about Harlan Ellison. What a delight to find that pertinent excerpts from that show are here. Thanks. And sort of an honor to share airtime with my pal Scott Pearson again, who was also on the show. To which Scott Pearson replied, sort of? Oh, Scott. Scott. It feels weird to say this, but it was fun putting together that episode, um, even though the circumstances were elegiac. Harlan has reached into so many people's lives, like not with neck-grasping hands necessarily, but with so much of his material. And it was great to hear from some of the people, uh, some of the creators, uh, that his work in life had touched. So thank you for your comment, Kevin, for making top comment. You win a lifetime supply of Scott Pearson repellent, now with fresh lavender scent. Scott. Remember, listeners, you can tweet to us or message the show and maybe have your comment read on the air. Just go to facebook.com forward slash EISTpod or find us at at EISTpod on Twitter or through our social media links on enterprisingindividuals.com. You can also reach the show at EISTpod at gmail.com with feedback and suggestions or to just say hello. We're waiting to receive your transmission. And that's it for this supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals. If you're an Apple Podcasts listener and you haven't yet, why not look us up on Apple Podcasts and make sure that you're subscribed to the show. Also, write us a little review if the spirit moves you and give us a rating at the very least. We'd appreciate it and it really helps. If you're not an Apple Podcasts listener, you can still subscribe to the show on Google Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you get the show from. And if you leave positive comments and ratings and reviews on those platforms as well, we would be eternally grateful. Next week on Enterprising Individuals. It is a phaser which I see before me, the handle toward my hand. Come, let me clutch thee. Wow, thy setting is on full and would have hold the bulkhead through. There's a lot of overlap between Star Trek and Shakespeare. Epic scope, tangled language, family conflicts, conflicted heroes, base villains, slings and arrows, and so on. But when a band of poor players comes aboard the Enterprise, Kirk must face a villain from his past, a man who has sought to escape from his previous life, but one whose hands may ne'er be clean. Writer and game designer Robin Laws joins the show next week to discuss an episode of Star Trek, the original series, that explores whether or not what's gone and what's past help should be past grief. It's the conscience of the king, next time on Enterprising Individuals. And until then, I'm your Captain Caliban, signing off and saying, live long and prosper. <laughs>